Hello and welcome to The Sound Architect. I am joined by the fantastic Andrew Lackey. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be talking, of course, about Ori and the Blind Forest. First of all, congratulations on all the nominations, including Game of the Year and Best Sound Design at the Dice Awards most recently. That's fantastic. Well done. Yes, thank you. It's uh, it's it's an honor. It's humbling. It's uh, kind of mind-blowing um, to be in the company that we're nominated with. It's just uh, kind of mind-blowing. But yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> it feels great. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we actually talk about Ori and the Blind Forest, um, I want to talk to you a bit more about your journey into game audio and how that began, if you could tell us about that. Well, I, I grew up in a really musical family. My father and my grandfather were in a band together doing a lot of dance music. Um, I grew up in Florida and they played for a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, old folks homes and kind of just grew up really looking up so much to my, my dad and my grandfather just loved their enjoyment of it and um, obviously became somewhat of a musician myself, but just kind of had always just absolute fascination and, and love of sound. I think it really uh, ties into family for me really strongly. From there, I kind of ventured away from music a bit. Uh, I think I'm definitely kind of a, a right brain kind of creative type and, and not that music doesn't provide that, but I really got endlessly fascinated with the art of sound design when I was in college. I was studying more music and, and music recording production and kind of fell on sound design in one of my very last classes at Middle Tennessee State University right before I graduated was a sound for picture class. And it was just kind of like somebody showed me this musical instrument nobody had ever seen before or was not, or, you know, it was just this absolutely fascinating. It's like, it's like the way I hear some people talk about synthesizers when they first started playing with the synthesizer. When I started to play with sound as a creative element and applying that to dramatic things that were happening. I think at the time our class project was to, you know, replace all the sound in a Terminator 2 clip. And I just fell in love with it. You know, I was using these like really expensive mics and this really beautiful, you know, really beautiful studio that we had at the college. And I was like literally like punching my hand into jello and scraping metal across the floor. And and also the parts of, that I love of, of narrative and drama, I really like reading and literature and that. And to be able to kind of meld the sound of what I was doing to help tell stories just set me on a lifelong journey of really um, exploring and, and loving what sound can do for narrative and for experiences. So <laughs> after having many years of you know, musical and, and studio training, I took a little bit of a left turn and I decided I really want to be a sound designer. And I, I ended up going from, from Nashville, uh, graduating in Nashville, Tennessee, to, to getting an internship in Los Angeles with Dane Davis. At the time, Dane was well-established in Los Angeles as a brilliant um, supervising sound editor and sound designer, but he had not yet done The Matrix. <laughs> so my timing was impeccable interning with him in that I worked um, on a few really small films, really great, but really small films. And then um, Dane had already worked with the Wachowski brothers on Bound, and they were um, starting to talk about their next sci-fi movie while I was there. And I ended up even remember Dane secretly sending me home with the script uh, before we even got the first shots from Australia. So, you know, I, I just hit the career lottery um, there with finding such an amazing mentor as Dane and also um, 
having this really meaty project. Obviously, Matrix is just a terrific film and, and Dane's work and the whole team. His, his team that he had on that was amazing as well. So were you interning throughout the whole of that project? I yeah I was an intern on um, the the film industry is fairly unionized and there's very set um, is very set roles that people have and there's no role for an intern or sound design assistant but effectively that's what I was and I'm not in the credits but I was with Dane <clears throat> through a lot of that or uh, through the entire project um, kind of as his you know do boy if you will but for sound tasks so it would be like show up at the office and. Andy, I need you to get me like all the like electricity you can find. And so my job for that day or that week would be to call around to all the prop houses in Los Angeles to go and find anything that made any kind of like electrical sound. So it could be, it could be, you know, uh, we were, I was renting, like going to these crazy old, like little shop of horrors, kind of like prop houses in Santa Monica that like were literally just like shut up little, little, little businesses. They didn't even look like businesses, but, um, and renting these like Jacob's ladders that like went like 15, 16 feet in the air. And you know, like they were like probably the things that were on set from, you know, Frankenstein and all these films from the forties and fifties. So anyway, we were, I would, you know, rent something like that, uh, bring it back to the studio. I'd get all the mics and everything ready. Dane and I would record it together, you know, um, and then, you know, record, you know, mastering all that and getting it back into his library. So, I mean, just all the little motors and stuff that, you know, we made the, uh, the squiddies out of, um, that Jacob's ladder, uh, had this really incredible sound that was the basis for all the, for the neb and all the ships that were in the, in the movie. Um, and then of course, you know, I got to see Dane and got to help him. Yeah. I got to see him take that raw material and mine really beautiful, amazing stuff out of it in context with, the script and with the movie and, and why he would pick certain things and why, um, he would use certain methods, um, to, uh, to manipulate it. And, um, you know, kind of going with that Jacob's ladder and the Neb, uh, example, he built himself a huge, uh, sampler bank out of, out of that material and created, uh, basically a, a performable instrument of, you know, arcing kind of sounds and that ended up being then looped them and then uh, put them, you know, and then modulated all with, with a pitch wheel. Um, And that ended up being like, you know, the basis of the neb. So when it flew by, we could do, um, you know, Doppler type sounds. So that's stuff that's, I wouldn't say easy to do nowadays, but, um, but it's, it's really like those kind of methods and reasons why you're pulling certain sounds and why you're trying to work with certain types of ingredients um of of sounds uh you know all that was impressed upon me um at a at a really important time in my in my career and i just soaked it up and i've got probably 50 examples of different types of sounds like that that we that we did and and again i can't stress enough the importance of what i learned from dane about doing what's necessary to support the, f- to support the experience of the film. Um, and, and, you know, cool sounds are, are great and, and so much fun to, to do and everything, but really um, designing from a perspective of what is important here in this scene, what are we trying to accomplish? 
um, first really is just an invaluable lesson that I've, I've carried with me, you know, on every single project, every single day of, of being a sound designer. So that really was the, um, the kind of the genesis of me becoming, if you will, a sound designer. Um, it's fantastic though. What a project to cut your teeth on. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, and my kind of more official first roles were as a Foley supervisor, Foley editor and Foley supervisor, which again, I think really speaks to that, um, working with raw sounds and making experiences happen from raw sound. And I really, I really look at that as being a really important aspect of, of how I, how I think about things now as well. And of course, being involved with, with Dane on all of his projects, um, including go and the matrix and then everything thereafter that I was involved with, um, got to work with a lot of amazing other talents as well. Like John Fasal as the, as a amazing, um, field recordist worked with him quite a bit, learned so much from that guy. Um, John Resch and Mary Jo Lang, um, be, became very, very close with that team. Um, and Allison Moore, that whole uh, Foley team, I became very close with them, probably worked on 20 or 30 films with them and all. So I just, again, I, I hit the career lottery with getting to really have this great stretch, you know, great, great group of people to to learn from. So, you know, fast forward, you know, there's probably about 25 or 30 films there that I, that I worked on. And um, by the time Matrix 2 and 3 came along, I was one of Dane's main sound designers. Um and then um, through that time, there was a few game projects that came in. One was actually um, related to The Matrix. It was Enter the Matrix for the second film. So I ventured a little bit into that where I was providing some of the source because I was doing, at that point, all the ships, all the squiddies, all the ambiences, um, lots of all the machine stuff. So then I was doing all that for the second two films. Um uh, then because the game needed it as well, I got to work with Charles Deenan on, he was the supervising, he was the supervisor on that. So, you know, then I've, then I've got Charles Deenan in my office teaching me how to, you know, slice up sounds for, for game and giving me a little bit of taste of how that worked. So I was still very much a film sound designer at that point. Um, but then, um, even though I had an amazing time for about seven years there in LA, I made some life decisions to, uh, move up to the Bay area and worked a little bit at Skywalker, uh, on a film, which is, which is another really good, really great experience. Um, just getting to see how film sound gets put together from a different perspective, I think was really like interesting. You know, I'd kind of worked in this one mold for, uh, a number of years and then kind of jumped into a different process, which in a lot of ways are very similar, but in some ways they're really different and interesting. And it's, it was cool to see how my impressions of, you know, things I'd always assumed was the way you do things, um, ended up being, uh, uh, you know, challenged a little bit. It's like, Oh wait, I don't have to do it that way. I can do it this other way. You know, Scott Walker does it this way. This is kind of cool. So I think it just kind of gave me a little bit more, um, a second perspective on how to build sound for movies. And then my transition over to games happened while I was up there in San Francisco. I got a call from Don Vecca at EA 
in Redwood Shores um, for a Lord of the Rings game, and they were needing somebody who was really good with linear sound design to do a lot of Lord of the Rings-based uh, design stuff. And um, that was my real introduction into game audio work. And even though I was doing mostly linear stuff and limited integration, I, I really fell in love with it and then got hired full-time with that. And then the next project they did, which was a, a James Bond game, I just jumped in whole <laughs> wholesale and was doing car doing car audio full integration car vehicle audio full integration weapons uh cinematics everything so that's the kind of the a somewhat long version of how i got into uh sound design and ended up more so in the game side of it that's a pretty cool journey though you have to admit like that's that's a pretty unique journey all right matrix lord of the rings james bond some pretty cool stuff in there Every, every day I'm grateful for it. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, how, how can you not be grateful for it? <laughs> so you have your own audio studio now, right? Wabi Sabi? Yep, Wabi Sabi Sound. Cool, which you, you found it back in 2008. So, you know, tell us more about that and your team and, and how that began. Yeah, so um, uh, Wabi Sabi uh, started, I, I guess, maybe a little bit of a backstory um, from working on From Russia With Love, and that span um, all the way through 2008, I worked on uh, Spore and also the uh, first Dead Space as, a, as an in-house senior sound designer. So by that time, I was feeling like I really had this kind of internal desire to really offer up what I felt like was this knowledge that I had of both film and video game sound production and, and what, you know, what the really like high-end groups of of individuals do um, to uh, to create these really great sounding games and, and films. And I wanted to basically kind of expand my creative, you know, the, the types of projects I, I got to work on and, and really offer out, I think maybe in a better way to say it is to offer out this type of um, experience and thoughtfulness about what sound is really capable of to a broader set of projects, to a broader type of projects, I guess I would say. And, and, and really, indie is, is, a big, is a big part of that. You know, the thing that really irritates me and bums me out a lot about the way sound is thought about, even by really experienced developers, is, you know, that it's a commodity, that it's something that, you know, oh, we got to get the sound on it. As opposed to thinking of it as crafting the experience. It's a shame, isn't it? It's like a common misconception where they're like, oh yeah, we need to do that sound stuff at the end. You know? It is, it is. And I think it's also, it's it's not just a problem with developers not caring. It's, it's more, I feel like there's not, um, I felt like there was a space for that to be represented both kind of in terms of people like us talking about it more, but also in the services we provide, you know, the the kind of outlets or the the options that developers big and small have to explore that. I, I think if you talk to any developer, they're going to say sound is important. They're going to say, yeah, sound is, is uh, you know, it's, it's really important. But how you, you know, go to that next stage of like really thinking about, well, what what is the sonic partner that's really going to deliver the unique experience that is what you're attempting to do with your game and what's the process behind exploring that if you just think oh it needs an explosion and it needs a gun sound and it needs you know a a, a manly voice actor um 
a, a lot of times that's the way sound is is thought about. But any um, really involved, passionate sound person is going to understand all the nuance there and, and how you can really craft those things. And and so that's part of the equation. But the other part of the equation is how do you engage developers um, in a way that that you really become their partner, that you really do shape the sound or the the, the experience, I should say, with sound. You know, I won't say that was necessarily missing from the marketplace, but I definitely felt like it was something I wanted to offer. I wanted to offer through a company like Wabi Sabi Sound, a boutique, creative, um, very message and experienced focused partner that provides, you know, sound for for games. And that involves as much as anything being really in touch with the game and the developers and what they are, what they, not just what the game is for any given moment, but the, what they want it to be, where they, where they want to take it. Then thinking about, well, what should it sound like? That really is to me what, what Wabi Sabi is. It's, um, it's, it's the vehicle to finding the right sound and the right way of, of, um, creating you know the sonic aspect of a game or a movie or whatever whatever it might be yeah well i mean that's the that's the end game we're all working towards pardon the pun <laughs> so are you guys in-house or all remote i mean you've got your own studio setup we are all in-house it's uh, morphed over time we were in berkeley um, california and we were primarily an in-house team there and we've moved about two and a half years ago to Atlanta. Um, we've always been an in-house team, but since we've moved locations, it's meant that we've remained pretty small, um, but we're effectively an in-house team. We do pretty much everything with in-house talent. Okay, cool. How many of you of there are you now at the moment? We are three people um, and probably going to be growing to about five people. Okay, in, cool. Uh, the so next year or so. Still yeah. morphing. Yeah. Awesome. So... Let's talk about the big one, Ori and the Blind Forest. So how did you first get involved with Moon Studios on a project? They found a, a video that was done of us by uh, Revision 3. It's a, it was a um, kind of an internet TV station that featured video games and, and, and production. And the, ga- the, the video was uh, kind of went somewhat viral, although, you know, I think it has a couple hundred thousand views or something like that. Um, and I think it was kind of fo- focused on creature sound design. Um, I might have watched that, actually. I remember looking at quite a few on creature sound design. It's weird. I get stopped at GDC sometimes, like, hey, you're the guy from that sound video, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, Moon Studios is a remote team. They're, they're I should say, remote and distributed team. They um, they don't have a central office or or anything even <laughs> anything like it. They are, the two founders are one, um, Thomas is in Austria and Gennady is in Israel and the rest of the team is completely distributed. So they do most of their um, talent, you know, talent searching and, and what have you through uh, these types of means. Um, so uh, they they reached out to us and said that they had a demo at the time. It was um the only things that were that were really of any level of polish were some sections of the prologue sequence at the very beginning. And then they had basically just kind of programmer art. Their process was building levels and, and gameplay first. I'm sorry, they built gameplay first um, through just programmer art blocking of levels. There's, so there's no art. There's, you know, there was a character, but there was no art in the levels at all. So we did a demo of the 
of some sections of the prologue sequence and you know they they kind of tried us out i think they had tried a few other studios out and that just took shape and it was a fairly slow um ramp up um i would say over the next year or so we did maybe a, a total of about six weeks worth of work on the project and um the following year maybe 10 weeks oh wow so it was quite spread apart. Yeah. I mean, it was, we, you know, it'd be like a week here and there whenever they kind of had a demo that they needed, that they want the, you know, that was ready um, to, to start figuring out some of the sound. So we got started very, very early, which is great. We got started way before there was any built out gameplay and really just the, you know, the portions of the cinematics were done. Which is good. It's like what you were talking about, getting involved earlier on in part of the concept stage and actually getting on board as, as a partner. Exactly, exactly. In the final two years of the project, so we were on it kind of in terms of length of time, probably four years from the first point of contact until releasing the game. And then the final two years was kind of a gradual ramp up into you know full production where the last six months were, were or the last eight months, I should say, were, were quite heavy. So they, they found us through that video. Yeah. In terms of um, the amount of time spent working on Ori then, in terms of the actual work you did, how much do you think you spent doing the sound design for the project? The studio total, I think we probably did about 24 man months of work. Maybe maybe more like 30. Over the course of about, what you say, four years? Yep. And we, at the end of the project, we had three people working uh, on the on the design. All right, cool. And when I say design, we we didn't just do sound effects design. I was effectively the audio director. Um, so we used Unity and Unity's core audio um, implementation, which is a really, really, really basic audio engine. And we built a lot of tools with, within Unity to do the audio that we needed. Oh, of course. You made bespoke tools for the for the software. Exactly, exactly. And then, so we, so for instance, we had to build our own mixer. So it was sound design, but also audio directing. Um, I did several of the voices. We also managed the other voices that were cast and and recorded and designed the other voices in the game. And then, of course, Gareth did the amazing music. We were we were in daily chats with with Gareth um, on collaborating there. Yeah, fantastic soundtrack by Gareth. Yeah. And so we just, you know, again, we just collaborated for, for literally years on it. So I think, you know, the polish that we ended up getting to is really a function of communication and giving it the right amount of time to kind of stew and bake and, and get the polish it, it needed. Yeah, definitely. Now, feel free if you, if you can't disclose this information, but we never really hear about the nitty gritty side of um, the whole factors you take into account when coming up with a quote for this sort of project so when moon get in touch and they give you an idea of what they want how do you then kind of go right okay it's going to take that many people or it's going to do this that and the other uh, it's going to come to this much yeah it was very it was very challenging especially for ori um to quantify that and it was literally one of those projects where we take it as it comes and and it wasn't just the sound that was doing it um when we started the game they didn't have a publisher for the game. There was no official business relationship between Microsoft and Moon, as as I understand it. Um, I think they were kind of starting to talk about it, but in terms of scoping it and funding it, um, that was very that was pretty amorphous through a large chunk of the 
of the the early going on the schedule. And then as we were able to prove out as a studio, you know, including us as a, as part of the studio, as we were able to prove out some of the concepts, um, obviously Microsoft got more excited and more involved. And from there, honestly, it still wasn't a formally structured scope to which that you could really attach you know, really start to figure out what the needs were in terms of the audio side. This is a pretty tricky part of the job, but we had to kind of do it by the seat of our pants. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, incriminating anybody. I think that's just the way it had to go for this project. Um, it was a very unproven studio. Well, that's the difficulty, isn't it? Every project's different. Yeah, it is. And I think if you have... Um, we work with a, with a wide range of studios, indie and, and, and big studios. And for the most part, a lot of the indies, they're either self-financing or they're bootstrapping or they've got pretty significant investment. So we can go a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, but I think for Ori, it went just about exactly the way, the way it needed to, both for the business side of it and for the, the creative you know, final product and polish. Um, it's, it's a project that really needed to prove itself along the way as opposed to... Well, it seemed to have done it. Yeah, you know, it all came together quite nicely. I think it did too, and and it's uh, it's probably the the thing that warms my heart the most about the whole thing is just knowing both from my team's standpoint and also the Greater Moon Studios, just knowing how much heart and soul was put into it, with absolutely zero assurance that it was going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's quite without sounding cheesy. It was kind of all created on belief. Yes, exactly, and without and without a whole lot of shall I say, financial security or any sort of security whatsoever that what was going to be the, the final the final product was going to yield um, any sort of sales or, or bigger, you know, aspirations. You know, it's really a, a it's really a, a walk of faith for pretty much everybody on the team. So for that reason, to have it do it well as it did and have gamers love it as much as they love it, it just makes it that much sweeter. Yeah. And obviously the audio is doing fantastically with all the nominations and everything. What was your kind of main goal with the audio? What was your kind of ethos and approach? Right off the bat, the very first thing I saw from the game was that it really wanted to have this highly nuanced, uh, very poignant moments. And I think that's what made me fall in love with a, with a project right off the bat. The fact that it was uh, going to be a, a you know a, a platformer with all these design goals of being this really great platformer were very interesting to me, and, and I and I loved the idea of doing a platformer and all that. But what really captivated me was how that was going to integrate with this kind of deeper, bigger world and and more interesting, deep story that was going to be told and these really multi-dimensional characters and and then you know of course being all in the backdrop of this fantastical kind of Miyazaki-esque world where obviously there's a lot of craft being put into the art and the design and the pacing and the story so I think that the that really um those two things kind of connecting for me just really did something for me and I, I think it in a way kind of getting back into my own personal history it really married what I love about doing design for movies with what I love about games in that games are very experiential you feel like you're there participating and and that's that's something you can't ever replicate as well in in linear but then at the same time Ori was really with this kind of interactive cutscene mechanic that they were doing and doing it so well, the the pacing and really being willing to 
do really interesting work with the pacing and really slow down the action and really let you sit there and be with Ori when, when Ori is struggling. It's a refreshing approach, isn't it? It's very refreshing, and I really fell in love with that that aspect of it. And so I guess with the with the full approach of the sound design, I wanted to really expand out these dynamics. You can think about them as dynamics, you know, high high moments, low moments, you know, triumph, defeat, exploration. With the sound design, you know, as a high-level concept, I really wanted to kind of stretch what was possible in terms of how quiet and how desolate and how minimal can we be in a moment versus how loud and how aggressive and how fretful and, and you know, aggressive, I guess we, we could be kind of taking my cue from that very first pieces that we had done with prologue and really expanding these vectors of like on one side would be magic and the other side would be organic, you know? And so everything Ori does has this magical component to it. But when Ori touches a piece of wood or slides down a rock wall, you really hear it um, so that the magic and the organic work well together. There's very, very loud and there's very, very quiet. There's lots of rich, organic, ambient textures in some places. And in some places, it's very, very still. Um, So I think just kind of really drawing out as much as possible those dynamics of different components of this of sound design yeah definitely would you say there's any key moments that were the most challenging in Ori? yeah there no there was definitely challenges and i and i think a big part of why i keep diverting as much of the congratulations as i can that we get on these on the nominations for the audio back to the moon team as possible is because we were challenged every single day and we challenged other portions of the game the moon development ethos is to really push and push and push. So we had many challenges and we had many full studio kind of, you know, Skype brawls about the right approach. And, you know, one of the big ones that I remember pretty clearly was whether to voice the characters in a made-up language versus a spoken language. That was a really contentious one. Oh, wow. Why so? Because uh, people that were in the camp of having it being um, a language, a spoken language, for instance, English, felt like that would be the best way to tell the story. It would be less for the player to do, to have to read text. So therefore, you know, presumably more of the story would get to more people, particularly English, you know, English speaking. But other people thought that that really ruined the mysticism and the magical of Nabel, the land. That was that was a challenge to get that figured out. And then once we decided well, it's that... It's a big deal, isn't it? It's, it's a big deal. And once we did kind of land on having it be a made-up language, we had to work quite a bit harder on the sound design side to really find voices that fit thematically with the game and kind of play these archetypal roles that we wanted that we ultimately wanted. So for instance, the spirit tree, the big booming voice is his... Um, he is the tree and I'm not sure people really get that. He's telling the story from the future. So he's telling it all in the past tense and has this sort of omniscient, larger than life kind of storyteller-esque quality to it. So I think that voice alone was was really pretty challenging. And and again, I, I think we landed in a in a pretty good spot with it. But it was one of those things with Moon, everybody really kind of needs to either sign off on it or be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Because anybody could bring up an issue, and if they were tenacious enough to keep that issue alive, it was expected that you dealt with it. 
Um, there was there was never a situation where, at least in, in my working with the team, where I would just completely dismiss somebody and say, you know, we're just not going to do it that way. That just would not be very Moon Studios to to do something that way. So anyway, that that was one where everybody was invested in it. Obviously, it's a huge part of the kind of overall sound of the game. Not everybody was sold on the iterations that we did, obviously. So we had to keep working and working and working to really find what what we felt like worked well. And then I think the other one is just kind of nailing down what felt like the appropriate kind of like magic palette, you know, the palette of sounds that we used for the platforming and refining that. So it felt very responsive and quick and matched how agile Ori feels when you're playing, like really getting that dialed in was really challenging, much, probably much more challenging than people realize, you know, I think just Spirit Flame alone, I think, (laughs) yeah, I think Spirit Flame alone, if I was to look, I don't even want to, but if I was to look at my session and look at how many mixes I did of that is probably in the thirties, you know, of like different types of Spirit Flame, you know, it's like, well, to some people it sounded too electrical and then to other people it sounded too explodey and other people, you know, whatever, didn't feel fast enough or didn't feel responsive enough or didn't have enough energy to it. Those kinds of things. As a, as a sound designer, you're used to hearing adjectives and critiques on your sound that have nothing to do with sound. <laughs> you have to somehow kind of like translate it into appropriate sound. So really the, the game, again, going back to my initial comments, so much of like, I kind of tunnel the the sound of the game's congratulations back to the the overall team because they everybody participated every single person participated in really being invested in the way the game sound and how it played um not just sound but every aspect of it um so more sounds than not were uh heavily iterated on which you know it's good that everyone had that interest and that involvement it is. I mean, that doesn't come for free either. You know, it's it's a great thing, but also as a sound designer, you're kind of a practitioner of this dark art that only sound designers know, like you know, like a magic or something that's like from this mysterious far off place. Like, it's hard to translate across. It's, isn't it? Yeah, especially for you know an animator or w- whatever. Like outside of the skill or the, of sound design, it's kind of looked at as like a, a a bit of a dark art. So you're you know a lot of times. I feel like we're paid and we're valued because of all the experience we bring of knowing how to make good sounds and knowing how like functionally sounds should work and delivering that. And you, you need a lot of confidence in what you do and you need a lot of experience. You need a lot of, I guess, confidence is really the right way to say it. But you also want to leave an appropriate amount of room for the feedback and to do what's right for the project. And um and and sometimes that's harder to do than others and i feel like it's something i had to learn more later on in my career being not just open but really you know listening to feedback but really making it my responsibility to understand what did he mean when he said he wanted it blue like when he wants it to sound more blue like what does that mean um as opposed to just blowing it off or doing a rev that is just a rev to do it to just try really trying to get at the heart of that being empathetic um to why this person feels like this is an important thing to change again. Like, what are we not, what are we not accomplishing? I think there's so much of the quote unquote polish or the uniqueness or the design, you know, so much of what people I feel like like about the sound of Ori has to do with that, has to do with like why going that extra millimeter to find what really works. And when you have a 
a really invested, creative, talented team like like Moon has, from the animators to the uh, tech team to the designers, when you're leveraging that level of investment, you can go some pretty amazing places. And all it really requires is just keeping the sound design ego in check and you know allowing for, for people to feel valued and comfortable giving that feedback and appropriately engaged in discovering what the right sound is. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a balance that can sometimes take a while to find. It's it's kind of believing in what you're making, but not being too attached to it. So that when people kind of give you feedback or explain how they want it, it's all about the project. You know, it's not about your baby that you made. And, you know, you're like, well, I, I like that. And it's like, no, it's, it's about everyone's working towards the same goal. And you've got to be prepared for that to happen. You know, I think some, some designers first get into the game and they, they kind of think, right, this is how we're doing it. And then they do it and they get upset when people give critique or feedback and it's it's not about that yeah yeah no very well said very well said and and it's doubly frustrating uh, because so many times the feedback is really hard to to really compensate but I, I think it's it's just a very for our craft to progress and keep getting better we have to continue doing that elevating that as, as part of our skill set as being good collaborators definitely i think you know the game audio community in that instance has grown phenomenally over the last few years i don't know if you've noticed but it seems to have swarmed yes in the, in the last I few totally, years to yeah i totally agree i i love the game audio community coolest group of people i know <laughs> so we've talked a bit about the challenges on on nori and you know the most challenging side of it on the flip side what was your proudest audio moment things that we really had to overcome that don't seem like the biggest deal in the world when you start off on a project. Some of the ways we were able to kind of handle that, I think were, were really good. Um, and I'm pretty proud of the level of polish that the game got and, you know, the sounds are the sounds and they would have been the sounds no matter what. But I think the way the game plays overall as a whole was not easy to come by at all. Um, we had we had significant technical problems and significant production process problems. And we were able to, again, rally the troops, rally the Moon Studios tech team, get a mixer built at a very, very late stage in the game and endure some pretty crazy technical limitations to get the game to mix. These things, you know, they're, they're harder to talk about because they're even more intangible than you know, what a sound effect is, but just the general mix of the game, how it flows, how you feel moving through the game, that you really feel these differences in space and emotional weight. I'm really very proud of, um, and this includes what Gareth did with the music as a component. I'm really proud of how we have places in the, in the game that just feel happy. Um, and they just, there's places in the game that feel dark and, and really sinister. And there's places in the game that feel like a cozy cave, you know, like we have like a lot of different kind of feels to the game. And I really think that boils down to the amount of clearly all the elements being really good. You know, the, the amount of iteration we did on them, including Gareth's music, but the iteration we did on things like ambiences and the reverb system we were able to get into the game and, and, and the mixing system we were able to get in. So I, I think one of the kind of invisible achievements, if you will, that was pretty hard to come by was just getting this game to coalesce into a really unified, but yet really diverse feel. Going through prologue and then running through the first few levels or all the levels really, but just the, all the different feels and listens and experiences you have based on what we were able to do with the mixing is, is something I'm, I'm really proud of. 
And it's not easy or opportune to do in a lot of games. A lot of games have a pretty uniform or a pretty set kind of aesthetic to them. They don't they don't modulate much, you know. You don't go outside and see the sunshine and then go into a dungeon and then have to deal with a huge bird and then have to <laughs> like and then get to go like, you know, swim in the water with some crazy little piranha things. Like, you know, our game really has tons of different geographies and epic geological events going on, but also these crazy characters. There's just so many different aspects to it. It's a very multidimensional game. And I feel like the multi multidimensionality we got with the sound, with the polish in the mix is something that's really tricky to do, as you probably know, and in, in just getting it done in the general schedule of games, but also the tech limitations we had and the point it came in the schedule. It's a nebulous one to talk about, but I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of just that final push of, of mix polish that we got on it. Awesome. Now, this is completely unplanned, but you couldn't have tied better into my next question, which was, uh, how did you manage the balance in the final mix? Well, in terms of process, um, I try to do as much mixing as absolutely possible at the sample level. If there's a frequency or there's a something that's just not working, I'm going to go find it in the sample and EQ it out. You know, while I, I absolutely love, you know, the, the tech that's available in games, I'm also a little bit, I'm, I'm also like my kind of old school techniques, and I don't think they're bad, of really addressing problems where they are. So anyway, just getting back to that specific question, the process is... You know, I'd say in the last two and a half months before we shipped the game, we probably had about 80 to 85 percent of it in in terms of the content. Of course, new stuff was flying in all the time. But from that point, I started doing just full gameplay run throughs without we didn't even have the mixer at this point. I mean, this was still at the point where I wasn't sure if I was going to get a mixer. So I was kind oh, of wow. doing this as like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was gnarly. What we had was you know, just very basic instance-based tweaking. So tweaking on the samples was really important. If I if I ran into a room and the ambiences had this hum that had this kind of resonance that sounded great before we put in the final music, then that frequency got, you know, got, got pulled out or got pulled way back. So yeah. I did a few passes of that. Um, and also, if I didn't think something was totally up to snuff in terms of the way it, it was playing in the game, I would tweak it, I would update it for, for mix and, and experience purposes, um, try to get the samples as absolutely tuned in as possible for the overall experience. Then we got the mixer in, which basically we developed the game in Unity 4, but Unity 5 had um, bus summing, which we right. absolutely needed right. for mixing. So we we had to develop and, and and integrate all of the sounds into four but then we had to open the same we had to open a different data set um in five to apply our mix so then after that again the game sounded decent at that point and then it was a matter of doing more slight level changes it sounds like a bit of a mission though to get the mixer in there it was we did not have all the features in Unity 5 Mixer that we thought we were going to get. So while it did summing and we had obviously the ability to change the states of the mixer, we didn't have the ability to apply multiple states of the mixer and have them all sum and have them factor each other. So we, we basically had to write a mixer on top of their busing structure. So we were able to use their buses, but we had to, we had to write a factoring mixer. And you went into the hard code for that? 
yeah, their engineering staff, Gennady, actually did that. So I spec'd it. I told him exactly the way it needed to work, and and he made it happen. Oh, awesome! That's good then. So you didn't have to kind of go into some hardcore programming yourself. It was good. It was a frustrating situation because we had, you know, DSP programming was not something that we could do in in house with the Moon staff. You know, we heard about Unity Five's features like in earlier in the year, and we were like, okay, great. And then we didn't get, you know, then they never really put a release date on the bill on their on Unity Five, so we were kind of left hanging on when we we're actually going to get it. And we did manage to work with their beta, um, get get a beta, and and actually ship with the Unity Five beta, but. There's a lot of stuff unsupported. It had its own problems, and um, it was it was gnarly. I say it's come a long way since. Yeah, I I actually haven't opened it up, but I'm I'm sure it probably has. They may have even looked at some of our stuff, <laughs> but I presume they may have. But technical stuff aside, I will do you know game mixing very similarly. In fact, I'm working on the witness as well. Another very very long production process, and it's similar. Make the sample sound as great as possible within the context of your mix. You know, DSP in, in game engines is, is kind of a double-edged sword. If you re- rely on them too much, you you kind of get bought into it. You know, they they can actually be their own limiting factor. Before I do any fine-tuning with the runtime mixer, just get the game sounding as good as possible, um, you know, at the sample level. And of course, if there's any kind of dynamic mixing that needs to happen, start that as soon as possible as well. At some point, really focusing on how the samples are interacting together, I feel like is a little bit overlooked in game audio mixing. And then really giving yourself that amount of time or at least building it into your process where you just know you're going to play the game and tweak. Yeah, I mean, some things you can see from the off, can't you? You can you kind of well, hear from the off. I suppose you you kind of put it in and then go, yeah, I already know I'm going to need to do this. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, being in mixer mode versus sound designer mode is so, so different. I did the majority of the sound design, at least the prototyping um, in the game. If I prototype something, I may have like handed it off for it to be designed more. But yeah, you really have to kind of click over into a different mode, uh, at least for me anyway, when you're when you're mixing and, and be a little brutal. Yeah, it's like you've almost got your own pre and post switch. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I think I, I was able to, thankfully, we had um, Bo Jimenez join the team with about five months left, and, and he gradually took over more and more of the sound design duties based oh, on my original designs. Um, so I was able to kind of be more in polish mode and, you know, look at look at the game from the overall perspective. And, and you know, really kind of putting yourself in the gamer seat as well, where you're really thinking about also what's important for the gamer to hear. And with film mixing and, and I feel like Ori being as linear as it is, it it's kind of like that. It's like you can almost slice the game up into moments from, from beginning to end and really determine what's important here. You know, sometimes it's the, the crazy Kuro hawk creature, or owl creature that's like hunting you. I mean, that's certainly happening a lot and that's pretty obvious, but sometimes you're just walking out of a cave into this like bright sunshiny area. And it's like, how can we make a moment out of that? How can we not miss that? Like let's let's hear a little bit of birds chirping here, or maybe the music shifted, and so let's let's let that be what what gets heard, you know. Um, little little things like that are huge. And it's one of the trickiest things, isn't it? Thinking about what's important for the player, especially within terms of audio. Most of the time, the player can't even tell you what they want. I mean, a lot of people comment on the music, and a lot of people comment on the soundtracks of games when they're not audio people. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's a little bit of a you know, not not said perfectly clearly. You you want to listen to it from the gamer perspective in that you're 
the the perspective of their of their amygdala, their reptilian brain, not their like <laughs> you know, not their high level you know conscious brain. Because yeah, the gamers are not thinking about oh, I wish I heard a bird tweet here. You know, they're not thinking. But about something that. they just feel, isn't it? Because of us, it's, it's yeah. something that they experience, and they can't tell you why it works, but it just does. Exactly, and that's such a double edged sword for sound designers. While we would love to be as like adored as composers, you know? <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? No one's going to buy the the, the library mix. <laughs> no, but part of our like secret little like magic power is that we can do this stuff subconsciously. We can play in this realm of people's brains and consciousness and perception that nobody else gets to, including composers. I mean, they can to some degree, you know, with what they're doing. I, I'm not here to say that even that it's a us versus them kind of scenario, but I definitely think sound design is an incredibly powerful tool. Part of what's so powerful about it is the fact that we're able to go into this side door of the brain and mess around with stuff without people really being the wiser to it. And if you all of a sudden like gave everybody the superpower of being like a really highly critical listener, they would be in there thinking about, oh, well, that's not the right bird for that, whatever. You know, like you don't want that. You want, you want the where, whereas with music or, or with other parts like the design, you really do want to press upon them and say, hey, look at this amazing moment. You know, again, it's, it's a double edged sword. So I think part Part of why I love designs, the sound design aspect of it so, so passionately is it just feels like a responsibility or like, you know, both a kind of an, an untapped magic, but also like a responsibility to really further, you know, use this very strong, powerful capacity, but yet do it in a way that's serving the project. And, you know, I hear this a lot, you know, it's kind of the, the sound designer thing. We do a good job when you don't notice us. Okay, that's cool. You know, but that's not the whole story. And it's a little bit self-deprecating kind of statement. That's part of the story. But the other part of the story is that there's a profound power there that kind of gets back to why I felt like starting Wabi and, and offering this level of kind of creativity and design purpose behind doing sound work was, was really important because I, I do believe it to be like maybe one of the more powerful and underrated uh, aspects of, of yes. storytelling and experience. But then again, we don't want to educate people too much to it. Don't be able being too good at listening to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. You know, you want to make it for the gamer and not for an audio guy. Yeah, you don't want, like, going back to the T2 example, like, you know, they made the, the T1000 going through the bars that's a, that's a sound of like, that's the sound of dog food coming out of a can. Like you don't want people thinking about the sound of dog food coming through a can. We would never, ever, 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 ever want that. So with that comes the fact that people are probably just not going to say, gosh, the sound designer in that is brilliant. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> so overall then, what do you hope the player's experience will be like in the way that you've approached the audio? You know, again, I just really want to align behind the, the global goals of the project to really further um, this style of gameplay. Uh, I think that the developers really wanted to, you know, Thomas and Gennady really wanted to take platforming and, and give it a really gorgeous aesthetic and very interesting, poignant sound. And, and on top of that, uh, a really poignant story with interesting characters and yet kind of tap into... Uh, a bit of our kind of primal sort of sense of love and loss and all that. So really like people enjoying the game to the degree that they do as a whole is the best for me. Um, there's, there's a few YouTube videos of like, it's mainly a shot of people's faces and what they're saying while they're playing the game. And to me, that's the like single most like rewarding thing when 
like the moment when like Ori is running and jumping and they've kind of got this like fun face, you know, they're, they're clearly enjoying like running around and exploring and then they run into the spikes and then like you see these people playing the game, like curl their face and say, ow, like literally they say, ow. Like something phenomenal just happened where we just inflicted pain on somebody through some headphones and a speaker, you know, like without actually inflicting pain. Yeah. Like that to me is just a remarkable experience to to be a part of that. But also, you know, it's not just about, you know, sticking people with spikes. It's also like all the endearing moments of, of Ori and triumph and overcoming adversity and all those things that we have to deal with as humans. You know, being a part of a project that accomplishes that for so many people and is appreciated and loved and adored for that. And, you know, to, to be able to put the sound on that and feel like the sound was a contributor to that is, is all the, it's, it's all the appreciation in the world. It's, it's all the gratitude I need, you know? Well, it's, it's one of those games where it's, it's very apparent that everything has contributed, you know, like the, the audio and the music and everything all coming together has, has, it's, it's one whole unit that's worked together. Yeah. And it's and it's not an accident. I can tell you that it's there's a lot of really in-depth collaboration, very challenging work, very gratifying again. But that's another part of what's so gratifying about seeing the project succeed the way it does. And, and is just knowing how much blood, sweat and tears went into it, you know, again, for those reasons we talked about earlier. So all in all, just incredibly gratifying. Yeah, and it's it's doing fantastic. And we wish Ori all the best um, in all the awards uh, so far and possibly even more. I'm not even sure how many are left, but, you know, know, all all the best with Ori. So thank you. Ori and the Blind Forest is fantastic. Can you tell us what you're working on at the moment or is it all still very NDA? Uh, we, we've got a couple things going on. Um, we are uh, finishing up The Witness, which is another very cool project. I'm very interested in that's going to be out on the 26th. And I uh, literally have been involved with Jonathan on that uh, since um, December. I, th- I looked it up the other day, December 8th, 2008 or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Since the beginning of uh, of Wabi Sabi. Really? Very. Yeah, actually 2009. I'm sorry. 2009. And and that's been another really interesting, great collaboration, very creatively challenging for totally different reasons. Again, um, just somehow I, I hit the lottery on, on that game and you know, on Ori. And I feel like Witness is uh, going to be very well appreciated by a lot of people. It's a, it's it's special. So we're finishing that up probably in the next week. Uh, we, we will be totally done and we'll be out not coming Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that. Oh, fantastic. We're working with a with a new startup studio, but they're very they're veteran designers and, and game devs um, outpost studios. Um on uh something that we're very excited about that's a really cool game and then um other stuff we've got uh yeah i I probably shouldn't say anymore but we (laughs) we do a lot of subcontracting on major games so like triple a studio type games so there's a few few of those things that we're contributing on with uh with their in-house teams excellent well it's great to hear you nice and busy i'm not surprised to hear that at all oh thank you and a nice, fun question to finish up with for you now. So if you could have a drink with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be? I'm trying to think too hard about it. I don't know. Thich Nhat Hanh is coming to mind right now. The um, He's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Wow. Um, he's coming to mind right now for some reason. Not, he's been pretty influential on, on me as a spiritual leader. Um, ooh, I wasn't prepared for this one. 
feels like I've it feels like I've had an answer for this in the past and just I'm blanking on it right now. I don't know, Martin Luther King. I'm fascinated by him. That'd definitely be an interesting drink. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know, maybe like one of my uh a not so distant like great grandfather or something or a great great grandfather you know that would always be cool that'd be kind of cool wouldn't it like like apparently i've got like a, a an ancestor that was on the mayflower so maybe that guy you know and then like try to trace the like what happened between then and now like <laughs> that'd be kind of cool <laughs> awesome well thanks again for joining us andrew it's been an absolute pleasure having you um, and to be honest, I could talk to you for hours about more on the audio yeah, yeah. Um, of various Likewise. projects, but I will not take up any more of your value. Um, but we greatly appreciate having you. We hope you've enjoyed the interview. Thank you. Certainly, certainly have. And uh, thank you very much. It's been super fun. Awesome. And thanks to everyone listening. Uh, we hope you join us again on the next Sound Architect interview. And also we'll provide links below for Ori and the Blind Forest if you haven't checked it out. And also The Witness, which will be coming out very shortly after this.